Hey everyone, welcome to the True Strength Podcast. My name is Zach, and here, fellow co-host Daniel and I talk about being productive and taking control of your life. Fundamentally, we believe these are important aspects of true strength. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. So, joining us once again today is my sister, Coral. Hello. She's back from Africa. I am, yes. Yeah, so today we're just going to do, I guess, kind of really a follow-up from one of the other episodes that we had done previously, where we talked to Coral about uh, missions, trips, and a lot about what she was planning on doing uh, right before she was going to go on her trip to Africa. So that's what we're doing today, uh, and just kind of get an idea of what happened and just more of a follow-up from you, really. Sounds good. So I guess we really should start with what happened. So like you left, you went on a plane... Probably. Yes, yeah, several planes. Okay. So let's start there. What was your flight route? Um, yeah, so the trip itself was in Sierra Leone, which is this little country on the coast of West Africa. So I flew from San Diego to New Jersey, New Jersey to Brussels, and then Brussels down to Freetown, which is the capital of Sierra Leone. About how long did that take? Total travel time, I think, was... 30 or so hours-ish, a little bit more, don't really remember. Somewhere around there, long, it was long. Sorry, I'm just thinking about staying up for that entire time, which I really hope you didn't. No, Okay. I don't know that I got good sleep anywhere in that time. I don't think you can on a plane. I used to be able to and I lost my ability to and I'm really sad about it. That is unfortunate. Yep. So, okay, what were your first impressions of Sierra Leone when you landed? Yeah, because we know you've been to Africa before, and you're going to have to refresh my memory like on where you've been before. But I didn't know if you had like been to this area at, at all. Yeah, yeah. So, well, and they were two very different trips. And I guess I can kind of just briefly also give an overview of this trip itself. Um, so about five years ago, I went to Uganda, and that was a 10-day quick mission trip with a church group. Um, this was just kind of a really different experience. I went with a mission organization called Mission Go, and I was there for, well, originally it was going to be about five months. It was almost closer to six. Um, and so it was a much more long-term thing. The first, first impressions of getting there, I was just kind of wide-eyed and taking everything in. And I mean, yes, I had been to Africa before, but it was the complete opposite side of a massive continent. Five years ago. Um, so, and I mean, everything that I was seeing and experiencing was new. Everybody that I was meeting was new. The whole culture was new. Um, so I remember being really, really excited. Um, but also there was a little bit of fear. I remember getting to the hotel room where I stayed the first night before we went to the actual like town where I was going to be living. Um, and just having this sense of, oh my gosh, I am here and I am going to be here for the next five months of my life. I can't change that now. I hope that this was a good decision. I hope that this was not a terrible idea. Um, there was a little bit of an overwhelming sense of that. Um, but it, spoilers, it was a very good decision. Um, and I just remember, you know, driving for a lot of hours the next day um, to get to Mokanji where I stayed, seeing the city for the first time, seeing all the dirt roads and 
kind of learning from the missionaries who picked us up a little bit more about the culture and the people and different things and just everything was new and I was just trying to kind of soak everything in and I was excited but just really had no real concept of what the next five months of my life were going to be like that almost this is obviously a very very dumbed down like example but like when someone like teaches you like how to play a new game almost and you're just flooded by all the rules but you're also like kind of looking forward to it it sounds like that but just on like times time three thousand massive scale yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah because i mean when you go to a new culture and you're trying to actually understand it, right? If you're there for 10 days, you learn what you can, but you're not going to learn a whole lot and you're not going to really be able to actually put into practice a whole lot. When you're there for five months and you want to kind of understand the culture that you're living in as best you can, then remembering things matters and you don't know what of your own culture is normal here and what you're used to that is really not okay um or just going to be really really different so you kind of have to be i mean even just sometimes it's you'll see something happen or you'll hear about something and you're like that would never happen where i'm from but okay um so you just kind of have to be ready to hear about anything and see anything and sometimes it's a really great new thing that you experience and sometimes it's something really sad and so you just kind of for lack of a better phrase, open up your mind to it and you're just kind of ready to see what happens. Yeah, and so I I would imagine just all of those things that you were learning at the beginning, you were really, really hoping would would stick with you and just have all that much more impact. Whereas when you were there the 10 days before, it was like, you, you, had, you might've had a, a little bit more of a mindset that was, okay, I don't quite understand or I don't need to grasp all of this right now because I'm gonna be home in, in about a week or a week and a half. Right, I wasn't and, even asking so many questions that first time. Whereas this time, you know, I wanted more to know who's who and what is the language like and what should I do and what am I going to experience? And the first time it was just kind of more, okay, this is what we're doing today and the next day and the next day, just, it was more of a day-to-day love on a bunch of kids. It was great, just a different kind of experience. So then did Mission Go have this goal for you guys to accomplish there or were you just kind of there making your own difference in your own way? Yeah, that's a good question. So... One thing that I think is really cool about Mission Go itself is that they very much will partner with you to help you do what you feel led to do on the mission field. So if there's a specific kind of ministry that you're wanting to do, they'll help you get it started or whatever. So for me, I was really wanting kind of just to get a taste of what the mission's lifestyle is like, since that's what I want to do long term. Um, and so I kind of wanted to be involved in a little bit of everything. I did want there to be a medical aspect in what I was doing, since that's also what I want to do long-term. Um, but I went into the trip kind of hoping just to get an experience of what this is like as a lifestyle and to be helpful wherever I could. And they were really accommodating of that. So they, when I kind of first got there and was getting introduced to Mokanji and to the Mission Go compound, they sort of they showed me the medical clinic and the girls' school and the boys' tutoring program and these different Bible studies that were going on. And so I kind of got to observe everything, meet the people, which that was overwhelming, you know, to try and figure out who's who all at once, but you get there eventually. And so then I kind of was given freedom to be involved in 
what I felt led to be involved in. And I really appreciated that. And kind of over time, as I went on, I found certain areas that I kind of really wanted to to focus on. Gotcha. And that sounds like it would be really helpful because I know when we were talking on the, the last episode that you had joined us, uh, we talked a little bit about how you don't necessarily know what you're going to ne- uh, be doing in mm-hmm. missions. And I mean, that's the whole point of the the plan that ha- God has for you is it's you, you don't know, you don't have a roadmap and so forth. So as much as I would like one. <laughs> so it sounds like you were just getting ready for just getting an idea of what could possibly this life maybe look like and trying to get some experience in some way, shape or form. Like, oh, this this might be what this looks like. This might be what this looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of it wasn't what I expected. There were just things that came up that I would never have even thought that I would be able to be involved in. And then I got there and I was like, oh, this is the thing. Okay. And it ended up being really good. So then what did you expect? I know it was going into it, you were like, I'm sure you were thinking something like, I have no idea what to expect, right? (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) But you had to have had some idea of what you were going to do, like where you're going to live, what it was going to look like even in your house. Yeah, like what the buildings would have looked like. Uh Yeah, what What the the streets would have looked like. Yeah, I was way off in what I expected. (laughs) The compound was way smaller in my head than it actually is. Um, The, I don't even, the living accommodations were much more bland in my head than they actually were. Because you did live in a house for part of it. I lived in, I lived in a house for the first two months when my dad was there with me. And then I shared a duplex for the last three and a half months ish um well three months so yeah and i think in my head everything was kind of i don't know gray but in my duplex my living room had bright green walls and my bedroom had hot pink walls and my kitchen had spa tiles all over it so and all my tile on the floor was mismatching so that was really fun (laughs) um but as far as yeah expectations I don't know. I think it's it's hard to look back on what I was expecting when... Let me rephrase the question a little bit. Okay. See if this is easier. Based on what, in general, people view Africa as, mm. how did that compare in reality? Yeah, were you yeah, like... That's a good question. Like some hut that someone had painted, like, the insides pink of and put <laughs> tile down on the ground... Dirt roads everywhere. Like, what what, what do we got? Right. Okay. Good question. Potentially loaded question. <laughs> uh, so, also, where I was living was not the same as where everyone else was living. I was living on the compound, so I had an actual house with running water and electricity, and the town did not have that. So, my accommodations were not a reflection of regular Africa as far as the setting where I was. Gotcha. Um, in the town of Mokanji. Um, I think some of it was kind of what people think of Africa. Dirt roads, definitely. Red dirt. Uh, very mm. dusty, um, especially in dry season. Yeah. Um, the homes were made of mud, so if they were a little nicer, they were made of mud bricks. A lot of them were... I actually got to help build... It wasn't a home, it was a bakery, but I mean, by help, I mean put mud in the walls which was way too fun but they were like they call them sticks they're actually tree trunks but thin tree trunks in the ground with 
strips of cane horizontally across them and then mud kind of upfilling them. And then if they have money, concrete on the outside. Um, and then some of the roofs were thatched. If they had enough money, they would have, they call it zinc, we would call it tin on the roofs. That was the most expensive part of a house. So if you had enough money, you would have that. Um, they weren't big. They were usually really crowded. Um, you know, pretty big family living in a small house. Um, and yeah, animals everywhere, goats, chickens, sheep, uh, dogs. Do those animals have to worry about the local wildlife at all? Or the people have to worry about local wildlife? Mm, snakes are poisonous. Snakes get stoned on site. That kind of made me sad. Um, but can't really blame them. Um, there's a lot of bugs. So mosquitoes, malaria, parasites, those are an issue. Um, which, I mean, also I think is what people tend to think of Africa. Yeah, and clean water is, is something, at least when I was growing up, was something that I heard about all the time about how that was a need. Oh, yeah. Big need, for sure. Um, lots of waterborne illnesses that people deal with, which is why... Um, they have a well drilling team and we also, toward the end of the trip, distributed some bucket water filters to villages that couldn't get a well for one reason or another or didn't have one yet. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I saw that I really didn't expect in Africa. I don't know that there was, but also now all my views about Africa are shaped by the month that I spent there, so it's sure. hard to think about that. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there were things, but if I think of some later, I'll say them. So then how did it change how you think of Africa now? I think the biggest way that it changed the way I think about it and kind of therefore changed me is that now I know the people. And let me kind of explain what I mean by that. Um, everyone has this general idea, well, most people, of poverty in Africa, right? And it's true. It looks different in different places. Um, it has, you know, all kinds of, you know, you think of malnutrition and tropical diseases, and those are all a thing. Um, and I saw that on my first trip on kind of a broad scale, right? I saw the slums. I saw the huts on the island that were just dilapidated. I saw the, you know, medical issues and whatnot. But when you're there for longer, two things happen. One, you start to understand more of the implications that that poverty has on people. So, right, you think about malnutrition, you think about tropical diseases, but you maybe don't as much think about education and the implications of that. But in a really poor country, a lot of families struggle to send their kids to school and then they have trouble or, or keeping their kids in school and so the kids are either putting themselves through school and as long as they can until they can't anymore. Or even if they finish school, then what are they going to do? Are they going to go to university? And how are they going to pay for that? And just there's not a lot. There's maybe some for a few, but there's not a lot of economic mobility that people have as a result of this poverty. And that just has implications upon implications upon implications. Um, so you start to just understand the depth of that a little bit more. And two, you know the people. And it's a very different thing to see poverty on a broad scale than it is to 
have a conversation with someone who is now your friend, someone who you care about, and hear their story and how this poverty has impacted them and their family and the struggles that they've been through as a result of that, that hits you differently. And I think that's what has changed me and what will never leave is that and it's not that someone who hasn't had that experience is, you know, doesn't care, right? I know that plenty of people genuinely do care and they do, you know, do actual things to help. Um, but I think what really changed for me is just knowing the people, caring about them so much, seeing what they struggle with, wishing like crazy that I could just fix it and I can't. Um, but I think that is sort of what changed my perspective a lot, what just made it more real, more home hitting for me. Yeah. And I imagine that was even more compounded upon by the fact that you would see them every day, struggle with those things and knowing that they were going to have to keep, keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it would be weird because I mean, you know, you see the general poverty every day, right? You go through the village, you, you know, you just see the general conditions every day. But sometimes, you know, it can be easy to miss certain things. Like I'll see the girls that would go to the school in the compound every day and some of them would stop by my house and say hello or come over during lunchtime. Um, and I would just, you know, say hello. But then sometimes I would ask them if they'd eaten or if they were going to go eat. And they would say, I don't have money or there's no food at home or things like that. And they mean that literally. And they, they won't necessarily, most of the time, they won't complain about that unless you ask them, right? They're not just going to walk around being like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And so it's easy to miss that stuff. Um, but when you see those things and it's someone you care about, it just, yeah, it's different. And you still talk to some of them even though you're back. You have their contacts, right? Yeah, the ones, the ones that have smartphones, which isn't everybody, um, some do, and it's a lot less expensive to maintain a smartphone there than it is here just to clarify they're not walking around with our kind of phone plans mm -hmm. um but um yeah the ones that have smartphones and have whatsapp or facebook messenger i can stay in touch with um which is such a blessing so what kind of things did you do at the compound to, to help people i know you were talking about helping to build a house at one point but what what kind of things was mission go doing yeah yeah so um the hospital was one thing so before so okay sierra leone had a really bad civil war but really rebel war um in the 1990s through the beginning of 2002 um and it was very devastating and the country is still experiencing the effects of that so this hospital in Mokanji used to be one of the best in the country and it's it's being rebuilt now. Mission Go is kind of rebuilding it. Um, right now it functions a little bit more as kind of an urgent care and they do weekly prenatal clinics and weekly infant immunization clinics. So I would help with those clinics. Um, and that was neat just to kind of, you know, get a little bit of experience, you know, learn how to do a pregnancy exam. But with limited resources or, you know, I got to weigh and measure a whole bunch of babies and do things like that. Um, so yeah, 
so that's that's neat and i mean that hospital is by far the nearest place that a lot of people not just in mokanji but in surrounding villages can go to get any kind of actual you know medical care or supplies whatever um so they're doing that they have a secondary school for girls on the compound um so more toward the beginning of the trip i would sometimes go and help out during their independent study hours or go in the evenings when the girls would go for study time and just kind of walk through their notes with them um that was one thing i wanted to be able to do more as the trip kept going but i found my attention just in a lot of different places but a lot of those girls would still come to my house so i would still kind of get to you know be friends with them and love on them and give them cold water and stuff yeah um what, what kind of things were they learning or studying or anything really like that yeah so in sierra leone they take a lot more classes at once than we do so they would have like 10 classes they wouldn't have all of them every day but they would i mean they were things like math and um social studies and english which i mean english for them is learning english right um although by secondary school most of them can speak it pretty well um and then you know they would have different sciences um the school so secondary school there's different tracks that you can take you can do the art track the science track and i think the other one is business but i always forget the third one and this one was science so for the older girls they had like biology and chemistry and physics and agriculture actually they all had agriculture um and then they would have things like business studies and religious and moral education and physical health education which is not a pe class it's a class about physical health um things like that that we wouldn't normally have as a class so i found that i could be helpful with math and english and biology and i could be less helpful with agriculture and business studies worked on some business studies stuff with the girls and I was learning it as I was teaching them. Um, so yeah, but it was interesting to me that they take a lot of different classes, like 10 or so at once. So another program that they have um, is the boys after school program. Um, so they're hoping to turn it into more of a sponsorship thing. Um, but the boys get to come after school for kind of tutoring, teaching help. Um, and that's, a really helpful program for them um they also get their school fees paid through that and so it keeps a lot of them in school um and that was one that i ended up focusing more on um i think my heart just really went out to those boys a lot of them you could kind of just tell by looking at them that they didn't have a lot um even you know compared to some others in the same community and so um my heart yeah just really went out to them and it took a while for me to kind of figure out how to become friends with them. But by the end, I did. And oh my goodness, it was hard to leave them. They were quite a wild bunch and I love them so much. Um, so that was cool. And then we would also have morning Bible studies with the workers on the compound. So every weekday morning um, at nine throughout the whole time I was there, uh, we just got to go to the porch, this big kind of porch on a guest house and just sit read a chapter of the bible talk about it um and that was a really cool way to kind of get to know the workers dive into scripture with them um and even kind of get to know you know some of the cultural ways of interpreting scripture and sort of think about you know 
well, what is it in my own interpretation of scripture that's from my culture versus what's in their culture versus what's just biblical? That was always really interesting to think about. Um, so yeah, those were some different things. And there was more too, but those were some of the main things that I got to be involved in as far as compound activities goes. So we were kind of talking this about this earlier when we weren't recording, um, just how the trip in general affected you as, you know, just as a person or just some of your views in general or how, how you view the world. Uh, so do you think you could tell us maybe a little bit more about that or maybe share a story about something that happened? Yeah, yeah. So I think for general takeaways, there were a lot. Um, and I'm still kind of processing through, you know, I just got back a couple weeks ago, so I'm still kind of processing through them. But um, I think a couple big ones were, one was just recognizing my own smallness, <laughs> I guess, um, because I learned about myself that I am a fixer and I want to just jump in and make things better and Sometimes I can do little things that do that and that's good. And sometimes I just can't. Um, and there were days when there just seemed to be so many things going on for so many people and for the community in general. And I just wanted to make it all better and I couldn't. Um, and I didn't know how even to do the small things that I was supposed to do, right? I don't know how best to share the gospel to someone who grew up in a completely different culture than me. I don't know how to navigate this culture where I don't even speak people's heart language or, you know, all these different things. But yet in that smallness that God still chose to use me in whatever way he wanted to, he still chose to allow me to be there, to allow me to meet those people and learn from them and to have that experience and give in whatever ways that I could. Um, that is just a reflection of his goodness and I think that's something that I'm still having to learn is that it's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's And that, you know, goes for missions or not missions. It's not about my own abilities to fix things or to be the perfect missionary or Christian or whatever. It's just the goodness of God that he chooses to express through his people. And that gives me a new perspective because there's a saying, faith without works is dead or not faith at all. So you're putting in the work of putting yourself in Africa, you're getting yourself there and saying, okay, God, I'm here. What do you want me to do now? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like when Jesus fed the 5,000 or the 4,000, depending on, you know, he did it a couple times, right? They, they had what? Five loaves, two fish or seven loaves of bread in the different stories. And I mean, what, what an odd picture that is when Jesus is like, okay, let's feed these people. And they're like, here's seven Twinkies. Like that's, that's all that we have um that was a here's this here's this kid's lunchbox right exactly <laughs> exactly i stole the twinkie reference from chris brown um oh i stole the lunchbox reference from chris brown so oh there you go <laughs> we're talking we're talking about one of the pastors from north coast church yes um so but i mean that's it's almost comical right how little they have to offer for how big the task at hand is and yet jesus says great i can work with that and all he wanted was their willingness to give what they had. And he did the actual work of multiplying what they had to be able to take care of all of those people. And we kind of talked about that a little bit, or at least a little bit of that concept when we talked last on the podcast about how you can try so hard to, to, to be someone 
And at the end of the day, he is the only thing that can really change the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's just recognizing his sufficiency and his love that he chooses to let us be part of the work that he's doing. Um, so that was a big one. And just trusting him too, right? When I want so bad to jump in and fix something and I can't, trusting that he is the one that's taking care of these people and that as much as my heart cares about them and goes out to them, his does so, so far past my own. Um, and that can be a struggle sometimes to kind of let go and trust him, but it's freeing and necessary. Um, so that was a big thing as well. I can't imagine what that would be like to have that burning sensation of wanting to help everyone, but then getting to that point where it's physically not possible, emotionally not possible, or just you run into some kind of boundaries, some of what we've been talking about, and you just can't do it. But everything like deep inside of you really wants to, 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 to help to do something. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> and, and I don't think that's a situation that's unique to missions. It's just very common in it because, you know, you get one request one day that someone needs a major surgery and then this person needs medicine and this person needs food and, you know, just whatever. And, you know, you don't blame them for asking for help. Like they, they don't have it on their own. And a lot of times they'll try and get it. And if they can't, then they'll ask you after asking family or whatever. But you you do what you can and you go to bed at night and you trust God. So then let's be specific. What's one story that's had, I guess, the biggest impact on you? Yeah. So um, there were a lot of stories, but this one I think I will probably never forget. Um, hopefully I don't forget lots of them, but, um, so one day this was less than two months into the trip. I said at the beginning of this, that sometimes in, during this trip, there were things that I ended up getting involved in that I didn't even know were going to be a thing. And one of those was medical assistance in the sense of being able to provide financial assistance to people who needed to go and get surgery or different medical care that they couldn't afford themselves. So a friend of mine who worked at the compound one day came to my house at 7.45 in the morning and said, let's go to this village to talk to this guy who has a hernia and needs hernia surgery. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, guess we're going. And so we went and talked to the guy and, you know, kind of, I told him I would help him if I was able. Um, and then some other people from that village came up and said something to my friend Gosnu and Mende, and he translated that there was a baby who had been born yesterday in that village at their hospital, which was, you know, it was a very small hospital. Um, this baby had been born yesterday, and they said that she was in critical condition, and I didn't know what that meant, but I braced myself for something really bad. Um, so we went to their hospital, and the baby wasn't in critical condition, but she had been born with a cleft lip and palate. Um, and so I, you know, obviously it's pretty recognizable. I recognized that immediately. They hadn't seen that before. Um, and the local pastor translated from the mother that she was asking me to take her baby, um, as in make her mine. Um, and that hit me a little bit, you know, you don't really expect to get asked that. And I, I mean, as I was out of her wanting the best for her baby because she assumed that I could provide for her 
better than she could. And she didn't know, she had never seen this before, didn't know how to provide. Um, and so obviously I couldn't take the baby, but just said that I would, you know, do what I could to help. I knew that this could be fixed with surgery, didn't know much about it. Um, but I got some contact information and we left. In the course of that, we also realized she had been born with Down syndrome. And so we didn't know if there were any underlying health complications with that that we didn't know about. Um, and so, you know, our confidence level and whether this baby was going to make it was kind of going up and down during that time. Um, but around our fourth visit or so, we made a point to share the gospel. And they listened really, really intently. Um, and it was just really neat to see them be really receptive to it. And, you know, we, in most villages, some people are Christians and some people are Muslims and you don't always know, you know, going in how many of each there are. Um, but it was just neat to get to do that. And so then on our fifth or sixth visit, um, we found out that the baby, her name was Hawa, um, had passed away that exact morning. It was really sad. They led us to her little tiny grave at the edge of the forest. And so I just remember sitting with the mom and she just looked at me, her eyes full of tears. And that look is just kind of imprinted in my mind. And I just held her hands and tried to, you know, in what little Creole I could speak, give her some sense of comfort. Um, just that the baby wasn't in pain anymore and she was with Jesus and um, things like that. And so then... Gossimu got to share the gospel with them again, this time kind of in the wake of that grief, right? They, there is hope that they will see their baby again um, if they will put their faith in Jesus, you know, things like that. Um, and just that Jesus died so that this baby can be with him and them too and, you know, things like that. So it was really neat to get to share the gospel with them um, in that context. And then the mom gave me and Heather just the biggest hug and Sierra Leoneans are not huggy people. Um, so that was just the sweetest thing. Wow. That's crazy. Even the story like that, where the death of a mother's child leads her to want to learn more about Jesus. Yeah. I think that's the entire reason behind missions behind all the uncertainty and of what you like when you arrived, you were, like you said, you were fearful, you didn't know what was going to happen. No matter what, I think God is going to move if your intentions are right. Mm -hmm. And yours definitely were, and that's what matters. Yeah, and it was it was just crazy to see that, you know, when Gasmu showed up at 7.45 in the morning, I would never have imagined that, that was what was going to come out of that quote-unquote chance, but not chance, encounter. Um, and it was just so cool to watch God take a small seed of an interaction and turn it into something where a lot of people got to hear the true gospel. Um, and with that, thank you, Coral, for being on. We really appreciate having you on. I'm sure our listeners are excited to have you back on for part two. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. I enjoyed it. And that leads us to our Bible verse for this week. So this is the same Bible verse that we did for the first missions episode. And it's really fitting. It's just God's calling to us as Christians to spread his word and the good news of Jesus' resurrection. And it, it is Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And it says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the True Strength Podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation, consider following us on Instagram at the True Strength Podcast so you don't miss future episodes. Until next time, goodbye and God bless.